Well, we continue on in our series in the book of Ephesians. We're now in chapter 5 and getting close to the end of that chapter. Uh, matter of fact, we're right on the verge of it. But there's going to be one more installment of this sort of mini-series that you could say I'm doing within the series. Um, and I'll say something about that in just a moment. But our scripture reading is today found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 31. 25 through verse 31. Now I remind you, this is not the word of men. This is the word of the true and the living God. And therefore we need to hear it with very careful attention and appreciation. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. May God add the blessing to the reading of this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, we've read your word but we need your help once again in understanding it, applying it properly to ourselves and to others when opportunity may come. That we might encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Father, we thank you again for your word. But Father, it is only in your light that we see light. So we ask for that light and that understanding, and that apprehension today, that we might be able to apply the word and take it to heart and put it in our walk in greater faithfulness to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Winston Churchill once attended a formal banquet in London in which all sorts of great dignitaries were there. And all of them, including Churchill, were asked this question as the night began. 
if you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? Intriguing question, isn't it? If you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? Well, naturally, everyone was curious to watch Churchill, seated, of course, next to his beloved Clemmy. They wanted to know what he was going to do. So, finally, the time came. And Churchill was the last responder. And everyone was waiting in anticipation for his answer. And finally, he rose to his feet and said, If I could not be who I am, I would most like to be. And then... He paused to take his wife's hand. Lady Churchill's second husband. (laughs) Lady Churchill's second husband. Some of you need to think about that. (laughs) Most of you grasp it. You know, the little bulldog did all right that night. He came out. Smelling like a rose because he honored his wife. We got a lot to learn, brothers, husbands. You see, last week I told you the story about how this, as I said, three part series within a series got its title. Remember, I told you if you were here. Marriages are made in heaven. How did I come by that? I told you a story. I'm not going to repeat that. You can go back and listen to it uh, in live stream or, or on podcast. It's available to you. But you'll understand the connection that it has. And indeed, as I said last week, marriages are made in heaven in a certain sense. Because God has grand plans for marriage. For our marriage, if we will listen and follow them. But far too people grasp what that plan entails and where it leads. Now we're going to get into that a little bit more clearly next week. But today, Paul is getting toward the end of of chapter 5. Only one more chapter to go in his epistle. And he is explaining how we that have now a new identity in Christ and all our identity is to be found in him and in him alone. We are Christian. We're not Christian plus something else. We are Christian. And Paul is anxious to explain to his beloved Ephesian brothers and sisters what it it not only means to be in Christ and have and be part of the new humanity, but what does that new humanity do? How does it then live? How does it walk before a watching world? He doesn't just focus 
on our identity in Christ, but also on all our fundamental human relationships. It is critical that we realize, as we saw in uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 21, where Paul calls us to have mutual submission. And that, in the reason for that, he says, out of what? Reverence for Christ. You see, our relationships all are to be governed by our awareness that we are to have reverence for Jesus. It is the defining reality in all of our human relationships. Whether you're talking about the church or whether you're talking about the family unit or whether you're talking about the culture. Reverence for Jesus. Why ultimately do we do what we do? It is out of respect and reverence for our Lord. We're ultimately not in this with each other. Ultimately, we do it unto him. Primarily. And because we love him, because we revere him, then we do unto one another. Paul, as I said last week, being the gentleman that he is or was, is yeah here he's not here anymore but he's there he still is being the gentleman he began last week applying a lot of these principles to our wives to those of you who are married today he turns the tables brothers and focuses on those of us that are husbands now I want to say this just, just by way of encouragement. So we've got one more in this series. There's going to be something you're going to see. You say, what if I'm not a wife or a husband? Well, there's going to be some things that I'm going to be able to say that are going to be more relevant to you. But the focus here today, having looked at wives and what the Lord wants, the way for us to respond and walk in the light He now, today, the primary focus is upon husbands. But ultimately, as we're going to see, it's not wives or husbands. It's ultimately the Lord and his grand plan. And we'll be looking at that next week. Now, what are we going to use for an outline today? Sacrificial love is the first element. Self-love, maybe surprisingly but is the second one. And thirdly, sacred love. So sacrificial love, self-love, and sacred love are on the menu. Let's dig in. Now Paul starts out with a very strong clarion call to sacrificial love for husbands toward their wives. Listen to verses 25 and 27 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, 
This was certainly a radical, radical notion in the time of the Apostle Paul in ancient Greek and Roman culture. This was just mind-blowing. That was not how marriages were looked at and how wives were regarded. I want you to listen to this quote from Demosthenes. And this is, this is really telling. This is how wives were categorized in the eyes. And this wasn't just one. There are tons of examples of this kind of attitude and posture toward wives. Nemostasi said, we have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. In other words, go there. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. You just kind of lonely, you don't want to be alone, you want to be doing something together? Well, go get your a concubine. We have wives. Oh, finally. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately. We have wives to, to basically be a baby factory, but with legitimacy. And having a faithful guardian for all the household affairs. In other words, okay, you make sure everything is tidied up, straightened up, the way it should be when I get home. We really have come a long way from that. But we are still so far in our practice regarding loving wives the way this passage tells us to. You see, Paul calls for husbands to demonstrate sacrificial love. And that was shocking in his day. And it's becoming increasingly shocking in our day. It's more a battle of the sexes. Somehow you think that went out, went out with the 60s? No, it's still going on. There is still fighting for supremacy, priority. But Paul doubles down. He doubles down to the extent in which true love will go. He says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives in that way. That is something out of this world. That, that's not natural. That's not natural in this world. It certainly hasn't been the history of the world. And yet Paul called for a new understanding in light of revering his Lord Jesus, and what he has done. You see, he is talking about what we call agape love. The ancient Greeks, they would refer, use the word love, all right, to their wife, but that was basically a, 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 fili, a fili, filial love, basically a friendship kind of a love. 
It wasn't a sacrificial kind of love that Paul is talking about here. Agape love is God's love. It's the love that he himself has shown and demonstrated and given to us through the gift of his son to love us even all the way unto death. It is a love that is not based on what a man gets, but on what he gives. How are we doing on that scale, guys? More getting or more giving? It's a love that is not selfish, but selfless. It's based not on a wife's worthiness, but on what God has done in a man's life to cause him to give that kind of love. That's supernatural, guys. Husbands, that's supernatural. You need more than what you got in the tank, and so do I. And you got the scars, and your wife has got the scars that can prove that. Not literally, hopefully, but you've, you've got, you know that you can't and don't often deliver that kind of love, that kind of ultimate sacrificial love. Now, for a little perspective, I know that a lot of you husbands out there, if push came to shove, if you had to do it and your wife's life was on the line, literally, you probably... Most of you, hopefully I would, be willing to die. Take the bullet for her. And that would be sacrificial. That would be a a glorious thing to do. But what's the likelihood that's going to happen to any one of our relationships, marriages? That you're going to literally have to step in front to take the bullet. Not not high percentage, I would say. Wouldn't you? But if you came to that, you, you would probably do it. And hopefully I would too. But what about living sacrificially for her? What about living, not dying, living for her? That's a lot more likely and practical, isn't it? And in some ways, it's a lot harder. Because it's not like, okay, glad I'm done with that. All right, now back to me. No? It's again... And again, and again, and over and over again. And then next thing you know, we find ourselves, husbands sometimes, right back in the me chair. And it's all about me. And viewing our wives as those that are supposed to make our life successful and happy. No, if I read this verse correctly, it's the other way around. That's on us. If love is not in the home, 
there is a problem with us, husbands, not your wives. You know, I, uh, this goes in the category, what I'm about to say. I don't know if, I don't think I've ever told this before. Uh, this goes this goes in the category of what I often love, one of my favorite expressions, blind squirrel finds an acorn now or then, now and then. <laughs> in other words, a blind squirrel. <laughs> but even he, once in a while, is going to find an acorn. <laughs> it may take him a long time. And this is probably more in that category for me. So don't think too highly. A lot of you, I don't have to really worry about that. But really, it's probably more the exception than the rule. But I remember in our second church up in Arkansas, we lived in a a Williamsburg 5 over 4 that was the manse, belonged to the church. And um, I'd come home one, one evening from work, and it had been a pretty full day for me as well. Um, but Louise, we had three children at that time and, uh, she was like, you know, like a lot of you, you mothers and wives are juggling kids, juggling. I mean, I don't know how in the world, you know, if, if that was left up to us guys, we think things would, would implode a lot quicker, but she, she had been just, it had been a really difficult day. And yet she wasn't, when I walked in, she wasn't complaining. She was wasn't saying like, it's about time you got here to help me with this mess. No. Uh, but I went up to stairs to change. And for whatever reason, I, I just sensed something. Uh, but I had already got a gist from her that it had been a really hard day. And she had just been going from one thing after another. And I went in and for some reason, instead of to our bathroom, I went into the kids' bathroom. And there in the tub was a gift from one of my children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it was, there it was. And you know what? The normal me would have said, boy, glad that's not my job. But there is a Holy Spirit. And even sometimes dunderheaded, dense guys like me can know when he's talking, tapping me on the shoulder. And uh, I took care of that. Cleaned it properly, disinfected everything, what have you. And... um, That was something that Louise truly understood. That was an act of, of love to, for her, and it meant a great deal. Now, like I said, brothers, sisters, ladies, that, that was an, that's an exception. But I think you get the principle that love is sacrifice and not doing what we want, but caring for and sacrificing for others. Giving up our rights and our very selves for the sake of our spouse. It has not been tried, men, 
and found wanting. It's been tried and found difficult. It's hard. How in the world are we supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church? You see, the gospel is an invitation to die. Did you know that? The gospel is an invitation, flat out. Die. Die to what you want, what you demand, what you insist upon. Die to it. Crucify it. And then you will live. That's what Jesus taught us. That's what Paul is teaching here. You see, husbands, it's an invitation to die to your desire to make your wife submit and be what you want her to be. What you want her to be. That's all wrong. You and I need to die to that. We're the ones that are supposed to be the ones making sure that she flourishes. Cherishing her so that she achieves and is successful. We are the ones that are supposed to be giving up so that she might increase. And you know what though the amazing story of the gospel is? That's exactly the way to true fulfillment and success. To die to self. You see, Paul goes on to talk about self-love, something called self-love. And did that, then that's kind of seemingly with this grand text of these first three verses, 25 through 27, that makes sense. I mean, that's Christ-like, that's sacrificial. But what what am I saying about self-love? Now, many of you who know your Greek mythology, you know there's a story told about a beautiful youth who had not ever been in love with anyone until the day he saw his own reflection in a pool and you know him by name many of you Narcissus remember he he died lovesick for himself so wrapped up in himself he was and in death turned into the flower that we call the Narcissus But that's not the kind of self-love that Paul is talking about here. But he does talk about loving yourself. What's up with that? Listen again to verse 28 through 30. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are 
members of his body. Now, most forms of self-love, like narcissist love, narcissistic love, is bad, of course. Not a good thing. Unfortunately, too many women are married to narcissistic husbands. Full-blown. And a lot of us brothers have narcissism in our hearts that they have been damaged by and had to put up with. Most forms of narcissism are bad. But Paul is talking about a kind of love that is natural and logical. Natural and logical. In other words, it makes sense. It's the perfectly ordinary expected thing. There's nothing strange about it at all. You see, when you love your wife as yourself, you'll really be loving yourself. Why? How? Because she's one with you. That's what marriage does. It brings two people that don't decide just to cohabitate and share a few things. They become one. United in various ways. Expressing the one union. The two become one. And so, when you love yourself, you are loving her as well. Because you can't just love yourself Now you belong to each other. And so Paul basically starts giving you illustrations of, can you imagine purposely hurting yourself? All right, self, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to chop my arm off. Why would you do that to yourself? You don't treat yourself that way. That's the point. Don't treat your wife in a way that hurts or harms or holds her down. But again, allow her to flourish. Cherish her. Help her grow and expand. Pray for her. Be there for her. You see, putting our wives' needs first says, my life for yours. My life for yours. It says, I love you as I do my own body. Nobody questions whether we love ourselves. We do. This is legitimate self-love. Proper self-love does away with the notion of mine and thine. You ever thought about that? If you're really one, no longer two, no longer individuals, but really one, then there is no, that's mine, that's yours. My kids always grow up, my, always asking, my youngest one, Stephen, would ask, always come around with having two older siblings, and he would go, that mine? That mine? That mine? That mine? That mine. He, 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 was, he was always trying to figure out what was his. Well, Paul is telling us. It's 
united and therefore loving well yourself will mean you will love her well and if you're not you're hurting yourself and her you see it helps you find life for whoever loses his life jesus said what will find it whoever loses his life will find it fellow husbands listen to me how come we have such a hard time understanding this gospel principle the gospel principle is what you want to find your life lose it give it up the way up to really get up and go get down go down that's how you're going to go up and be exalted and find fulfillment the way up is down less is more you give up for her and for her sake in reality you will be getting more not of what you gave up but of more fulfillment more true life you see it's the pathway to true fulfillment but the world does not believe that does not accept it and most of the time you and i don't either practically speaking we keep thinking, if I get what I want here, I'll be, it'll be all good. No, usually when you get what you want in a marriage relationship at the expense of the other, you both end up losing. Somebody has to die. Somebody has to be willing to go down. Somebody has to be willing to take less and you know who that primarily is put upon the shoulders of husbands it's us it's you and me then paul talks finally in verse 31 about sacred love paul's next reminds his readers of a teaching that jesus quotes from genesis chapter 2 verse 24 regarding the unity of marriage Listen to verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. No longer two, one. No doubt many of you here recall these lines from the princess bride. Mawage. Mawage is what brings us together today. Mawage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream, and love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your love. Apologies to um, the, uh, the clergyman, but uh, uh, I think you get the point. Marriage 
It's this amazing, wonderful, ethereal thing in that, de- that depiction. But you see, all levity aside, Christian marriage is given by God to humanity to illustrate the great sacred act. It is given to illustrate this sacred act of a man and a woman, two separate people coming together to become one. Where it's no longer his and hers and mine and yours to come together in this mystical union. Marriage is indeed sacred, but it's not a sacrament common to some understanding in some churches that think it's a sacrament. It's not a sacrament. All sacraments are instituted by Jesus himself, not by some other mediary or someone else. That's why we only have two, the Lord's Supper and baptism. They were both instituted by Christ. Marriage is a common creation ordinance. It is a common creation ordinance. Furthermore, marriage is a creation ordinance. It is sacred, though, because it was instituted by God. It wasn't somebody else that decided, you know, I think we're going to do this thing called, let's call it marriage. And what if the two of us get become so close and, and, and somehow we bind ourselves together. No, it didn't work like that. God is the one that had the idea for marriage and that's why he knows what's best of how to do it and under what circumstances it can ever be dissolved. God is the creator of marriage, but it was not given to the church specifically It's a creation ordinance for all mankind. Because if we follow God's patterns and his provisions, we will be better off even if we are not believers. We will benefit from what God and a better order society if we would follow his his commandments, his institutions that he has provided. Unfortunately, we seem to be hell-bent to not do that. We seem to want to do everything and throw aside every vestige and tear apart what God has made to be together in our culture. But you see, it is part of God's very good creation. And God has decreed that a marriage creates a new family and that new family is to be protected. It's to be protected. This means, the text again says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This means that a husband and wife are to make each other the first priority in the relationship. Not the second one, not the co-priority along with your parent, with their parents, one of their parents or the other. No, To be the priority. Ahead of parents. Ahead of other family members and kin. And other relationships. 
You see, counselors tell us that relationships with in-laws is one of the diciest sources of tension that there is in a marriage. And a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you've, you've got scars for that one too. I could tell you my story, but you got your own story. Why is it that when all of a sudden y'all are doing pretty well, and then you go at some point in your life, especially if you've got kids, that's when it's really dicey. Because you've got young kids. and Now, the less other complicating factors, maybe the smoother the ride goes going to in-laws. But when you go, and all of a sudden, she's back home with her family, I guarantee you, you're going to find, sometimes feel like, wait a minute, am I chopped liver here? What's the problem? I don't feel like I'm being included. It happens both ways. It's always dicey. And that's why God said this. You make sure she is your priority, husbands. Not your mother. Not your father. Not grandpa. You see, marriage is tough enough as it is. It is hard sometimes. It is beautiful. It is a many splendid thing, and it's a many sometimes hard and difficult. Marriage is tough enough. So beware of allowing improper intrusions into the sacred union. Most people can say, you know, I felt like. This, in your house, meaning the house you grew up in, both at times, men and women, harmed by that. Not quite a level playing field. So God warns and gives provision to make sure that you leave and then cleave, hold on to each other. Yes, you can still have proper relations. You're supposed to, of course, honor your parents. But not if they begin to meddle at the core of your relationship with something that is not any longer their responsibility. Now, what do you say, practically speaking? Because we've got some more things to look at next week that I think are going to be encouraging. But what do you say, practically speaking, we call for detente? Detente. On the battle of the sexes. In other words, what I'm saying is, what do you say we try to right now and just stop trying to figure out who's to blame for our messy marriages? Is it her or is it him? We know that there's easy to fail, whether our role is the husband or the wife. So what do we do? Let's don't, let's don't try to figure out who's, who's more. Well, you're more to blame. I might be, but you're... Let's don't, let's don't go there. I want you to listen to Richard Koken, his commentary on Ephesians. I think this is some wonderful words of encouragement. Kind of hammered on the ladies last week, kind of hammering on us guys, husbands, this week. But don't lose heart. Listen 
to these encouraging words. The relief, you can say, where's the gospel? The relief of the gospel is that although almost everyone who has been married has been emotionally, if not physically, unfaithful, and no wife or husband has ever loved their spouse as God commands. We can all come to him for his complete forgiveness and for the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to help us become better wives and husbands. Marriages in churches are all under differing degrees of strain. And despite the impression we so often give on Sunday mornings, no marriage is without its difficulties and regrets. And if you don't realize that, you need to, you need to wake up. But God enables a patient forgiveness and gradual change that goes far beyond what is possible without God. It's tough with God, but without him, there is no hope. But there is for us in Christ and because of him. Gospel-driven forgiveness is the glue that sticks our imperfect marriages together, gradually overcoming bitterness and despair with real hope and joy. It can be that way. It can go the other direction. Be encouraged, husbands, and wives, we've got one more to go in our series. You think about that. Amen. Father, we know we fall so far short of the kind of sacrificial love that you have shown us in your son. But Father, thank you that you've also given us the Holy Spirit and we're not alone and we're not in this battle all by ourselves. We have one another. We have others that walk sometime beside us on the journey. There are others that help us. But most of all, Father, we need to believe in the gospel more and more profoundly. We need to understand it is only ultimately not about our marriages and how well they're doing, as we're going to see next week, but about the great marriage to come. Father, show us. Open our eyes to understand. Show us how to love better. Show me how to love better. Show each one that is presently husband and one day will be to love our wives as Christ loved the church. May that more and more gradually become true.
for the sake and glory of your great name, we pray. Amen.